Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart. I'm going to jump right into some scriptures you guys know well today. The first one is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want to read that again because I don't think you guys listened. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want us to just really keep that in our frame of reference this morning as we go through this brief uh, teaching. Um, Man, I believe all of us unknowingly, we are constantly judging people around us. We judge our neighbor by not wearing a shirt, mowing his yard when he should. (laughs) That's not me, by the way. Don't drive. You drive by my house, I'm fully clothed. I'm like United Pentecostal all the way when I'm mowing, mowing my yard. If you're UPC, you know what that means. We judge people on how they talk. Unknowingly, we judge people by how they walk, how they do things, how they um, approach other people, how they work. I mean, we judge people on their work ethic. You know, um, there's still a lot of people that believe that pastors work one or two days a week and then we golf the rest of the time. And uh, I mean, I haven't even golfed in like seven years or six years. But, you know, we judge people based on our perceptions. We judge people based on how we were raised. And the title of this message this morning is The Wrong Side of the Tracks. And I I know some of you, I I would say if I could pick on my wife a little bit, we, you know, we, we grew up in the same town, but we didn't grow up in the same town. You know, I, I was very blessed and fortunate. You know, I grew up kind of you know, middle class, maybe a bit lower if we were talking about income levels and things like that. But I grew up in a nice, you know, small one-story home and that my parents bought a few years before I was born. And, and it was a great house to grow up in, a great neighborhood to grow up in. But I didn't realize until I got to junior high that our neighborhood in Spring, Texas was considered more of the wrong side of the tracks until there was this girl that I just thought was the cutest thing on the planet and no honey I'm not talking about you I just I'm just I'm just said this was way before I met you all right I was like 10 all right and I, I remembered I had this crush on this 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 girl her name was Jenny Marie Hill doesn't that just sound like Texas right there you know and so I just thought this girl was so nice and so kind. She was, she was so kind to everybody in school. And, and uh, she, I would say hi to her and she would say hi to me. And, and, and one day I was riding my bike and I just so happened to be riding somebody else's bike in the neighborhood, which just happened to be a pink bike. It was a girl's bike. All right. You know when you trade, but get over it. All right. Move on. 
And so, <laughs> and so I'm riding this bike and I see Jenny and her mom drive down my street on Minnie Oak Drive. And they don't stop to say hi or anything. And I get to school the next Monday and she goes, Oh, and I went by Corey until I was about 17. And she goes, Corey, I saw where you live. I really liked you, but I, then I saw how small your house was. I'm not, I'm not getting this. Is, I've lost sleep over this. What if, what if Jenny was the one? <laughs> Kidding. Jenny didn't turn out so well. <laughs> Let me just say that. Or, praise God. <laughs> Don't touch God's anointed. <laughs> All right. Anyways, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> Lord, I repent for everything I'm said and about to say. <laughs> but I realized there was a difference because then I realized as I got around more in our area that Spring, Texas and the Woodlands, Texas were vastly different, vastly different cultures. And I just thought about this, not, not just this week, but throughout my life of, of how so many times in our life we are treated in some way, shape, or form like we are on the other side of the tracks. And, you know, I looked up some, some definitions of where this, this, this etymology actually came from. It's not very clear, but one of them that I thought was interesting this explanation of the wrong side of the tracks is in the old days of steam locomotives, the wind would tend to blow the soot to one side of the tracks. So I guess the sootier the side, uh, the more bad side that was. And, and that was actually considered the more industrial side, uh, the poorer side of town. When Candace and I, when I left my... Uh, director position and Alzheimer's uh, care and we took our first church uh, in 2012 um, we, we sold our large house um, I, I, we, we, it was a difficult sell I, I made $38 the check was $38 on the, on the house took a major loss we got rid of our new vehicles and, and, and we're upside down on them we had to get out of those vehicles just to be able to make it on this new salary at this new church and many people said now court just know that this is a very different side of Texas this is, this is and, and they would use not the tracks but they would use that church and that town is on the other side of the river and, that's, and I heard that. I heard that. And when I, when I got there, we, we fell in love with the people. We fell in love with what God was doing. And, and God was winning souls. God was bringing people into the kingdom. It was a great time. But even the way they would talk about themselves is, hey, pastor, you know, those folk over there, they've been visiting. I know you've been inviting them. But, you know, they're just going to cause trouble. And I said, well, why? I said, well, they're kind of from the other side of the tracks. I want you guys to remember today that we serve a blue-collar Savior. <laughs> we serve a Savior that grew up on the other side of the tracks. He came as a servant, not a king. He came as a man, and, and of course it was, a, it, was a, it was a human body, but he was God and man and one, but he was also fully man. 
the, the hurt and the hardships that we experience, Jesus himself experienced. I want to I read the scripture to you real quickly, and, and, and I'll, I'll keep moving and progressing as the Holy Spirit provides. But in John chapter 7, starting in verse 10, I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. It says, But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went. Though secretly staying out of the public view, the Jewish leaders tried... Um, tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak up favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from the God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely of my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. In fact, you are trying to kill me. The crowd replied, you're demon possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath and you were amazed, but you work on the Sabbath too. When you obey Moses' law of circumcision, actually the tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before, um, long before the law of Moses. For if the correct time of circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, go ahead and do it as so not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? And here is the key verse I want us to just camp on. He says here, look beneath the service so you can judge correctly. We don't do that very well. We want to look at people the way we want to look at people and the way that we see them is usually we, we, try, we hold to that. Internally, whether you believe it or not, you see somebody and, and you shape in your mind who they are and all the while if you just stopped and listened to God, he would say, that's actually not who they are. The homeless man on the, on the side of the street you, you think he's homeless because he's addicted to alcohol, but he's actually homeless because he was raped by his uncle for 15 years and didn't know how to cope, and a psychologist couldn't help, and a pastor couldn't help, and a religion couldn't help, and a doctor couldn't help, and the list goes on and on. So he just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to cover it up, and I'm going to self-medicate. Well, some of us look at that homeless person. We look at that addict. We look at that prostitute. We look at that, that church, and we say, oh, man, they must be in sin. They must be really messed up. And deep, deep on the inside of us, and I know none of us in here will admit to this, but on the inside of you, you are saying, man, you know what? I'm a little bit better than they are. But that's not the voice of God. The voice of God says, that's you. You are that crack addict. Now follow me here. You are that person that was molested. You are that person that lost 
a son or a daughter. You are that person that went through a horrific divorce. You are that person that has experienced suffering and loss. And you are that person that got up in me and allowed me to heal you. We serve a blue-collar Savior. We don't serve a Savior that sits behind a desk waiting for people to come to him. He goes and gets them. He calls them by their name and he goes and gets them. And it's up to those people if they are obedient. They say, yes, God, I want to serve you. I want to do that. I don't know how to do it. I've been messed up my whole life. You got to know that now, Jesus. But I want to get on board with you in faith. I believe that you died for me and I want to live for you today. The scripture there says, look beneath the surface. What a powerful phrase. John Wesley said, we should be rigorous in judging ourselves as gracious and gracious in judging others. So judge yourself harshly and be gracious in judging other people. Why did Jesus say, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly in verse 24? Because he had experienced the pain of rejection and misunderstanding. Keep, keep in mind, here's a few facts about Jesus and how he grew up, in case you don't believe me, about him being a blue-collar man, a blue-collar God, a blue-collar Savior. He grew up in Nazareth. If you would mention Nazareth to most any other community, they would be like, ugh, Nazareth, that place. Isn't that the armpit city of so-and-so state? I mean, that's what they used to say about Conroe, Texas. When I was in high school, just a few miles down the road from where Candace and I grew up, and people would say, oh, Conroe, Texas is the armpit armpit city of of Houston or the armpit community of Houston. and, And it seemed like that for a long time, but now Conroe is like one of the largest growing cities in the nation along with Sugarland, another area that was called that for years. How many of you know that Jesus has an amazing ability to take something that looks trashy and worn out and broken and devastated and build it up and say, look at that beauty, look at that field of flowers, look at that family flourishing because they elected relationship over religion. I'm not trying to sell religion to you today. I don't even need you to become a member of the church. And God forbid, don't tithe to this church unless you understand what it means to give cheerfully before the Lord. What I'm trying to sell to you today is peace and longevity. Because I'm going to tell you, the storms are coming. The storms are coming. And if you think the last storm was bad... You better start looking up because the next storm is going to be worse. And the next storm after that is going to be worse. And pretty soon the storms are going to run out and Jesus will take us. The tribulation will start. That seven years, three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of devastation will be starting soon. You better put it on your calendar. Well, where do I put it on my calendar? It's called Get Saved Today, so you don't have to worry about that. That's, that's what you write down. So we grew up in Nazareth, in a, a town of 1,500, a town known for its toughness. It was known for its wickedness. It was a lower peasant class of people. 
He was the eldest of, we know of at least seven siblings. He was the oldest one. He spoke Aramaic and it had a very distinctive accent, an accent that if he went to Rome, if he went to Jerusalem, they knew, oh, he must be from Nazareth, that place. His father taught him to be a carpenter, probably starting at a very young age. His father um, was an amazing man, as we all know about Joseph. We've read about Joseph. We know about what he went through. Hey, my wife's pregnant, and we haven't slept together. Whoops. That's, that's a bit odd. Huh. Okay. Arrive an angel. Okay. Let's, let's sell this to him a little bit more, okay? Joseph was an amazing man of God. He taught Jesus many things. Jesus honored his dad by taking over the family business. We don't know exactly when Joseph passed away, but he died possibly when Jesus was fairly young, maybe in his teens, maybe in his 20s. And you guys know that Jesus took over his, his dad's business as a carpenter. He did not start his ministry until he was 30 years old. There's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them was simply he, for him to honor his spiritual father, he needed to honor his earthly father. He took care of the business. And then, of course, we know... That, that James, when James is old enough, Jesus uh, gave the business to him and off he went and started his three and a half years of ministry until he was crucified. The Bible says in Luke 2.52 that, that he increased in strength and stature. Jesus was not a, a, a puny little man that was worn out and tired because of the world's sin. No, he was a man that was, was strong in spirit and in body. He worked every single day of his life and God taught him that out of good work ethic this is the same kind of blue collar ethic to where you're going to be able to have the strength not to call angels to help you but to be able to lay down on that cross for a people a people that are past that are present and that are future a people that don't know that they need a savior this is what his father trained him to do Jesus uh, isn't impressed with our income levels. He's not impressed with your degrees. He's not impressed with how you dress today. He's not impressed with how you think your marriage looks to everybody else, but when you're home, it's absolute travesty. Jesus is not interested in your images, your mass, your perceptions, or your opinions. Jesus is interested in who you are on the inside. He doesn't care about how you grew up and, and what he, yes, he cares about what happened. He wants to heal you, but he's not, he's not a savior that's going to sit around and let you play the pity party. He is a savior that says, God, I want these people for my own and I'm going to do anything I can to get my arms around them and pull them closer to me. Jesus is not a God. He is not a savior that sits around behind a desk and just simply waits for the world to come to him. He's not a trinket God. He's not a genie in the bottle God. He is a God that fights for you every day and you better get excited that he's coming back soon because God Guess what? Pretty soon, I'm not going to be here. Because I'm going to be up in the rapture. This is my last church. This is my last church. Jesus is coming back soon. And all you people in here that think you can still play around and hide in your sin because you've got more time, you're foolish in all your ways. And that's how we grow a church right there. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. Praise God. Jesus, he doesn't concern himself with white privilege, white power, black power, presidential power, political power. To the fathers, he wants the father's power in us. He wants that power in us. Some of us have not been working in the power of God. When we've got full access to the benefits of God daily, we, we, go, we, we go for all these different things to get sleep. We go to all these other things to wake up. We go to all of these other people to feel better about ourselves. Some of you, you know, maybe some of you came to church today to, to feel better about yourself, but that's not the reason why you're supposed to come to church. You're supposed to come to church to, to worship Him in spirit, soul, and body. And when you worship him in that way and you come to him humbly, what happens is he begins to change you on the inside out. But guess what? You got to do your work. Everybody wants a drive through dollar store anointing. Okay, pastor, just, just lay hands on me. I'm going to come in here. I mean, some of you, if I said, sir, I'm, listen, this is, if you think it's me totally making fun of you, you're totally right. I am. Okay. Some people, not maybe just this church, but others, people, if I said, hey, we're going to have a 10-minute service, and I just want you to walk in. There's the entrance door, and that's the exit. You just walk in here. I'm going to lay hands on you. Boom. Everything's going to be okay. Walk on back to your car. Get in your car. Go eat some Mexican food. Watch some football. Life is just going to be perfect. But can I tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's the American church that you don't want to be in. The real gospel church says you better humble yourself before the Lord before it is too late. He is coming back. Come on, somebody give him an amen this morning. I'll take a hallelujah for him as well. Amen. There's a story told of a, a country singer, uh, Lonzo Green's nephew, Jimmy, asked him to tune in a friend's guitar and he agreed the problem was jimmy's friend was from the wrong side of the tracks <laughs> and jimmy's parents wouldn't allow him inside their house where uncle lonzo was visiting so they decided to meet outside and as the kid approached green noticed his self-consciousness and sideways glances at the upscale neighborhood lonzo who had experienced poverty and discrimination in his own life uh, tuned the boy's old guitar played a few songs, and taught him some, some chords. The young man thanked him and left with a warm memory he would carry throughout the rest of his very remarkable life. Eventually, that boy crossed the tracks for good with his guitar and soft, polite drawl and hesitant smile and was never unwelcome again. That's because this boy was, um, who wasn't allowed in the house because of being from the other side of the tracks, his name is Elvis Presley. Robert Lynn said this, there are two sorts of curiosity, the momentary and the permanent. The momentary is concerned with the odd appearance on the surface of things. The permanent is attracted by the amazing and consecutive life that flows beneath the surface of things. We need to be concentrated on what's inside people, what's not on the outside. The outside is not working for us. In fact, the outside, judging people from the outside and judging people by the way they act and the way they talk is not getting the gospel in them. We're pushing them away. You think they don't know when we're acting strange and weird around them? 
I've said this in this church and I pray that it happens one day. I really do. I pray that these, these first three or four roles are all prostitutes and crack addicts and alcoholics and you name it. And I hope they come in here because they feel so comfortable that they're going to be loved on by a big God and by big people. That's the prayer. That's what I hope. That every, that, every, that every color, creed, and, and culture would come in here knowing, hey, this isn't a white church, this is a gospel church. Amen? Dang it, we need more black folk in this church. Praise God. We need more Hispanics. We need more uh, Asians. We need more. We need more. Why? Because that's what heaven is going to look like. Heaven's not white. Somebody said the other day, I won't say who it was, but can't just get mad. I probably just gave it away. But, so, but not her, not her. Family member. Anyways. And, and, and this person said to me, you know, Court, I realized that I have enjoyed white privilege my whole life. I said, no, you haven't. You're rich. What? I said, yeah. You have a lot of money. Money goes a long way in this world. Everybody understand that? But money does not go far at all in heaven. Because the currency of heaven is faith in the blood of Jesus. It's not money. Have you ever seen a hearse taken away a person in the hearse and there's a U-Haul in the back? No. Y'all think about that for a second. There we go with the laugh. Praise God. Listen to this. I, I love how Micah chapter 6 says this. I want to read it to you in a, in a couple of versions here. Um, it says this in the Amplified. With what shall I come before the Lord to honor him and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves, Will the Lord be delighted with thousands of rams or with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my acts of rebellion, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you except to be... Now listen to this, this is the formula again. Except to be just and to love... And to diligently practice kindness and compassion and to walk humbly with your God, setting aside an overblown sense of importance of, uh, or self-righteousness. I've told you guys recently in the last few months that, and, and part of bringing Pastor Jeff back on was, was to help me do this and accomplish this along with our great board and our leaders is we're, we're not going to tolerate people in the church anymore dividing other people. We're not going to tolerate, and listen, there's a lot of mean Christians on this planet. I don't know if they're going to heaven or not, but the fruit of their life looks like crap. And I'm going to tell you, when we have dividers in the church, the Bible speaks so strongly about church discipline because the Holy Spirit and his inspiration and the Apostle Paul teaches us that if you've got people gossiping and slandering and dividing in your church, you will only grow in the natural. You will not grow in the supernatural. We are a church that everybody is welcome, but not everybody is going to stay. 
I know that sounds terrible. Pastor, you don't want every. No, I don't want everybody to stay. I know the pastoral thing for me to say is, you're, you're, and it's truth, you're all welcome. All of you are. But if you come in and you want to have a controlling spirit, and you want to belittle people, and you want to bully people, and you want to hold people hostage, please let me help you out the front, the back, or the side doors. We don't need you. Oh, well, what about the money I'm tithing? Take your tithe down to another church. We want people here because guess what? This is how revival starts is when we start putting God first. Amen? I know some of you don't like that and I, it's okay, I don't care. What I care about is God wants for us the best. When we meet people where they are, and, and this is why I probably enjoyed working with crack addicts and alcoholics for years, is because when they came to the Lord, they were like a, a little puppy. You know, when you bring home, oh, the puppy's so cute, right? And the puppy's running everywhere, and they're excited. They just have so much faith. They, they're not going to have a worry in the world. And all of a sudden, that puppy starts crying in the middle of the night, and you want to kill that puppy. Well, maybe not that far. Maybe not. We scared a little bit. And the next morning, when you got maybe three hours of sleep, oh, that puppy's so cute. And then the next night, oh, I'm going to hurt that puppy. Right? This is what I love about new Christians. People that are just excited about Jesus is you get all of them. You get the good, the bad, and the ugly all in one, and they're not playing games. This is what's so awesome about seeing somebody come off and, and be out of an addiction and watch Jesus free them. They've been forgiven so much, they just don't care about all the Christian jargon and political stuff that's spewed out for most every pulpit in this nation. They just want to know Jesus. And this, and this is why I'm spending a few minutes on this. I, I just want you guys to really know Jesus, not, not a piece of him or a portion of him. Either you're married to somebody or you're not. Either you're married to Jesus or you're not. You can't have it both ways. Because the Bible tells us clearly that I can, I can deal with hot and I can deal with cold, but, but I absolutely, as Father God, will not deal with lukewarm people. In fact, he, he makes the, the, the just this, this horrible um, thought. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like to throw up. It's not fun. I don't like to see it. I don't like to hear it. I don't like to smell it. No, 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 no. Cooper gets sick. Candace. I'm not that bad of a father. Don't judge me. All right? Man. But you get all of it. When you have a puppy, when you have an infant, when you have a new Christian, you get all of it. It's all raw. And this is where I want us to be, where our worship is raw. That we're not worried about knowing lyrics that we're concerned about if we know Jesus. He says here that we are to pursue 
justice. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He is a just and upright God. How many, by, by the show of hands, can you say today, I am truly dependent on God? Raise your hand for me. All right, we got some good, honest people in here on both sides. Because that's great. If you can admit and you weren't able to raise your hand, that's the starting point right there. That's the Holy Spirit saying to you, I need you to depend on me. Psalm 89, 14 says this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, God. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. We've got to pursue justice. We've got to love mercy. And we've got to walk humbling. Another uh, a, a version of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Praise team, I'm not going to preach long today. Y'all can come up. Uh, Micah 6, 8. I love how the Message Bible says this. But he has already made it plain how to live and what to do. What God is looking for in men and women is quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And do not take yourself too seriously, but take God seriously. Raise your hand if you've been taking yourself too serious. Come on, come on, honest folk. Yep, I see some of you have spoken to recently. I would agree. Yep, 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 yep. You know, we need to laugh more. We need to have more joy. We need to be delighting in what God has bestowed upon us. We, we need to get into a habit. I know this is hard. I know this is hard. But when people are sick around you, when you see death around you, when you see disease around you, when you see people that are going into major surgeries that may not come out, we have got to learn to celebrate the Lord in those times. And we need to be able to laugh in the face of the devil and say, devil, this life is not yours to take. This person belongs to the Most High. You have no authority. I wonder what would happen if as you as family and friends in those emergency rooms, in those urgent cares, in those ICUs, where you just began to change the atmosphere with your words. Well, pastor, they may kick us. They've already kicked everybody out of the hospital anyways. You might as well have some fun with it. The things that I've said and the stories that I, of, of, of families, they're just so distraught. And, and people would say, now court, just tame your personality. Don't say something inappropriate. Right, I know, I know. And I would go in, family was so solemn. I'm talking, this is a Christian family. It's a, a patient I've worked for for months that's ready to die. There's a certain time and a place to do things family walk in they're so solemn the enemy is just trying to get them in fear and anxiety 
And I walk up to the bed, male or female, they're still awake, they're still cognizant. And I'll get real close to them, get the family real close, hold hands. Of course, they're thinking, oh man, this is going to be a beautiful and eloquent prayer. But I say something like, hey, did you hear about the priest and the Southern Baptist pastor and the Assembly of God pastor that walked into a bar? They did what y'all did. Awkward. And all of a sudden, doesn't matter how the joke ends, they're laughing. They're having a good time. They're reminded by a simple act of laughter that this is not the end for your mom or your dad. And this is not the end for your son or your daughter. It may look like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's was the end, but this is not the end for your family. And I would just remind them and tell them that when we have, and I would tell the patient, when we have your service in three days, I'm going to say some really crazy stuff at your service. And you're going to love it because you're going to be up there with Jesus, dancing and laughing before the Lord. You're not going to care about what's going on down here. The gentleman the other day, and I I know uh, the Steckmans aren't here today, but um, Cal Cooper was the gentleman that um, is is family to uh, the Steckmans. And he passed away a few days ago. Man, just two months ago, I was on the phone with him. And three months ago, whenever it was, when we finally were finishing out this playground. And it was a real big undertaking. And and there was just a lot of struggles. I mean, I I was just talking to the Stackmans the other day. I was like, man, Cal and I were just on the phone a couple of months ago. He was so excited. And he said, hey, Pastor Cord, I want you to know, I know you've gotten some donations and I I know y'all weren't going to get the swing set because it was going to be thousands of dollars more. But he said, I'm going to personally pay for the swing set at the church and I'm going to have that installed for you guys. And and just a marvelous man, but but he slipped away the other day into the arms of God. And And I just don't feel sad for him because he has gotten and received the wellspring that he has prayed about and talked about and he was a minister too and he ministered about. And I'm going to tell you, you know, we're about to go through a time. This is not a fear statement. Y'all stand with me. You look like you're getting sleepy. We're about to go through a time that you can see it as a celebration of the coming of the Lamb, or you can choose to see it in a very negative, religious way. It's a choice. I know that not every church person is gonna hop on the bandwagon of being like, okay, Jesus, we trust you completely. Doesn't matter what I think or what I heard or what I feel. Jesus, I trust you completely with my, where I am now. And when I take my last breath, I trust you completely. But that's really the biblical standard on how we're supposed to live while we are living on this planet. And guys, I wish I could sell this to you with other words and another way to say it, but, but our time is so short. 
Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let us just come before the Lord for a few minutes. Worship singing is going to, they're going to do one more song this morning before we go. Love to hug your neck before you leave this morning. Um, I got to read this quote to you before I pray. It's a, a quote by Jules Verne. You guys know him. He said, on the surface of the ocean, men wage war and destroy each other. But down here, just a few feet beneath the surface, there is a calm and a peace unmolested by man. Now, Jules Verne was talking about in the natural, but I want to quote that in the supernatural. We got to look beneath the surface with people and beneath the surface of their struggles and their problems, even your own, even with your spouse. You spouses need to learn to be more kind to each other. Be more compassionate. Stop waving things off and be, oh, you'll get over it. You'll get past it. Stop what you're doing. Sit down with your spouse. Sit down with your teenager. When's the last time you actually took time to have a real conversation with your teenager instead of just being a butthead all the time? Huh? When's the last time that you actually picked up the phone, called your mom and dad, maybe states away, and you just spent 30 minutes on the phone just trying to love them? Doesn't matter about the past. Doesn't matter about the present. When's the last time you dug in and said, you know what, I'm really going to do this the Jesus way today. I'm going to put myself out there, and if I get hurt, that's okay. I'm ready to get hurt because they can't hurt me very much anyways. Because I've got Jesus in my life. He's my Savior, and He is a blue-collar God. He is a blue-collar Savior that looks at the heart and not the outward appearance. God, I pray right now for each and every family represented in this room, God. For every person that is struggling. God, for every person that is divided right now. Every, there's just so much division that I see in families. Are you really going to leave your family and be upset with your family because of a mask? Are you really going to abandon each other because of a vaccine? It's ridiculous. Jesus wants us to be in unity. We all have different opinions. The way I'm convicted about things is differently is different than, than some of you. I could go through that list. I'm not going to do it. The point is, is you need to hear from God on your own what he has called you to do and how he has called you to live. We need to go by what the word has already said on what he's called us to do and how to live. If the voice you're hearing does not coincide with the word of God and is telling you to do the opposite of what the word of God says, can I remind you that that's not the voice of God? God will not con contradict himself. He also tells us that he is no respecter of persons. He does not have more respect for one person than another, but he does have different offices set up. We are all called to be kind and responsible and compassionate to our neighbor. I really had to compliment my father-in-law last week because in just the four days that he was there, he knew everything about the mailman. He knew everything about the neighbor to the left of us, to the right of us, and like four neighbors in front of us. I'm like, how do you do that? 
He's like, I just, I'm retired. I talk to people now. And I, and I compliment. I was like, man, you know more. I didn't even know that girl's name. <laughs> but God, that's what you've called us to do. You've called us to get to know people and have real, uh, real relationships with them. To not judge them on the outward appearance. God, I know we already prayed earlier and I believe many have rededicated their life to Christ today, but I, but I want to ask and petition for another request today. For those of you that are here today and you say, you know what, I've, I've been very judgmental. I, I have, I've been putting my eyes on other people and examining their life more than I'm examining my own. Maybe I'm a, a mom that's been really judgmental towards her children. A dad judgmental towards his children, a, a, a spouse judgmental towards the other spouse and, and for no other reason but perception and some ideal that the enemy planted there. But I'm going to tell you, and what I've learned in counseling people even this week is there's, there's a lot of lies that are out there and, and so many of us believe the lies of the enemy. It's time for us to expose those lies today. If you're here, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you're here today and you say, you know what, I have come to a place in my life I realize I am, I'm, I'm visually judging people. I'm critiquing people and I'm analyzing people. And, and I'm missing time with God. I'm missing time where God is speaking to me because I'm constantly speaking and judging other people. We all do it, God. And we just, can we just take a moment right now just to repent can we just say in in your own way father please forgive me for not judging people the right way the right way you say is to get the telephone pole out of our eye first and then we can help somebody else with the sawdust and theirs god i pray that you would help me today to get that two by four out of my eye Help me, God, to be more compassionate, more giving, more kind. And God, we repent of that right now for every judgmental remark or thought or glance, body language. Come on, will you repent right now, Jesus? I repent of this sin. I know it's sin, and I'm not going to hang on to it. I'm going to leave here today remembering I need to look beneath the surface. I'm not going to look at the outside of people anymore. I'm going to look towards what you're trying to tell me. What can I do to serve them? What can I do to help them out of that addiction? What can I do to see their life changed? We repent of that right now, Father. There's one more thing I'd like to do before the praise team sings. If you were here this morning, y'all can keep playing. If you were here this morning and, you know, we've been praying a lot about this. It's come out in quite a few teachings. But if you were here this morning and you are still struggling, whether you're in the audience, whether you're on the praise team, you're in the sound booth, maybe you're outside in the cafe, those that are, that are streaming online right now or later, but if you're here today and you are still struggling 
with anxiety and panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I just believe that God is going to heal you today. Come on. If you are here this morning, I want you to come up front right now. I want to I lay hands on you. Just make a line up here if you're willing and you're bold this morning. I want you, want you to just come up so we can pray for you. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, we don't have to rush to get out of here. If you feel like you need to go in a few minutes, for sure, welcome to do so. For everybody struggling with anxiety, we can throw fear in there. Fear is part of that panic and that anxiety, that depression. Maybe you're feeling oppressed. Maybe there is just, maybe there's a spiritual, just a heavy weight on you. And, and maybe you're feeling like, hey, this is, this is not of God. This is what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to steal my joy. He's trying to take away everything that, that, that is about God in my life. He's trying to destroy relationship. If you're here today and you meet any of those um, scenarios, will you come up? We thank you, Father. We thank you, God. Jesus, we praise you.